Wednesday edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And we're fresh off a loss last night for the Toronto Raptors, but what a ball game last night. And, and it's funny, I had somebody, Jonesy, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, well, hit us up, I, I think, in response to our, our post-game vlog. If you haven't seen that, folks, we always recap, uh, post a video recap after most of, most of uh, the Raptor home games and, and a lot of the road games that we broadcast from the radio studios as well. But somebody's like, oh, how Canadian of you guys. What a Canadian you know, response talking about the positivity or the, the good vibes and the good feelings from a loss. They lost the game. And like, well, obviously you didn't watch because one of the first things we talk about is there are no moral victories. You win or lose, period. But I don't care, man. That was a highly entertaining game that could have gone either way. You know, yeah, we're playing a little bit of would have, could have, should have. If the Raptors, as we often talk, and we said it last night on our broadcast, if they don't go out and miss 10 free throws, even if you give me half of those, the Raptors win the ball game. But even if we keep the free throws the way they were, this was a punch-for-punch, you know, high-octane match that could have literally easily gone either way down the stretch, and it just turned out that the Suns had one better, heavier punch in crunch time because it truly was anybody's ball game yesterday. And it was, as, as you said, and I'll hand it over to you, Jonesy, the most entertaining game from start to finish that I believe we've seen all season. Yeah, and, and, and I'll, I'll throw the other part of that in there too, Eric. Most entertaining and most competitive game. I mean, that, that, that intensity is something... I haven't witnessed since we watched, uh, you know, uh, a, a game live in 2020. Like it's, it's. I mean, we didn't see games live last year at all, but this was. I mean, it was. There was chirping from the players, and I, I don't mean in a bad way, but chirping to the officials, and, and guys were just getting after it. Um, you know, the attention that Phoenix paid to Fred, the way Fred was defending in, in the kitchen of Chris Paul, Justin Champagny sitting in a stance one-on-one against Chris Paul and ending up stealing the ball from him when, when Chris tried to get, you know, do too much with it, uh, it you know, at, 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 at one point in the game. Like, just the intensity was there. It was, it was really, like, for me, it was, it kind of reaffirmed, yeah, this is why I love this game and love being around it. And it, it, it was terrific. And, and to the, you know, to the to the uh, the guy who hit us up. I haven't checked the uh, the social media accounts yet th- this morning, but um, I'll say this: I talked to a Raptors staffer yesterday, and the take from them was enough playing all these teams like Golden State and Phoenix that send a hybrid between their bench and the G League squad and ten day call ups. This will be a good, and this was before the game, this will be an excellent measuring stick tonight because we are seeing a team, yeah, Cameron Johnson was out. They got, But that's, there's no, it's no different than a regular night where they might have one or two guys out for an injury. You're not playing a G League squad or, you know, a, a, you know, a game of who he play for when guys hit the floor. Like, this is, this is a legit test. And the, the staffer said to me, I'd rather lose playing a real team to see where we are as opposed to walking all over, you know, somebody's somebody's G League team or some guys that won't be with them when it counts. So um, it was a good measuring stick. Uh, it, it, they, they did lose a close, hard-fought, competitive, entertaining game. Uh, and I think if you're the Raptors, 
you got lots to look forward to when you get Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent Jr. back and, and the way people played yesterday. You bottled that. You play like that consistently. You are a playoff team, and you are going to be a very, very tough out. Yeah, I, I, I echo all of that. Um, absolutely. It, it's What impressed me with, with last night, Jonesy as well, was, okay, so the Raptors up 11 on two separate occasions early. They give it up. And you think this is where Phoenix makes their run and establishes themselves, and Toronto punches right back. And the Raptors go up six in the fourth quarter, and Phoenix comes back. But then the Raptors take another. Like, they were there yeah. every single time. And that is a sign of a good team. One that, yeah, they ultimately lost the game. And, and sure, the better team won the game. Okay. But that showed me that they can hang and without two of their yes. tough guys. Yes, yes. They and, absolutely and Eric, can more than hang. They, they, it was right down to the final seconds. And and you you pointed out the the numbers on the, on the uh, the stats on on the broadcast fourth quarter. Uh, it 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 comes down to um, uh, the Raptors being seven of twenty five, and give Phoenix's defense credit for that. They are one of the better defensive teams in the NBA. Fifth in opponents' points allowed. Third. In opponents' field goal percentage, uh, you know, fourth in opponents' three-point percentage. They, they're a good defensive team, and their defense, and it, it was the cumulative effect of their defense. They just didn't decide, oh, okay, it's the fourth quarter, it's a close game, let's play defense. No, it was like that. It was like that all game, and and, and they were they were into Toronto, and and you know what, the Raptors gave it right back to them, and in the fourth quarter. You know, Phoenix didn't exactly tear it up either. You know, they, they shoot 9 of 19. But, in you know, we were talking about it in the, in the group chat before we we came on air with our producer, Mark Boffo, and, and technical producer, Lance Kennedy. Phoenix play, and I said this at the start of the broadcast, they play it old school. They are near the bottom of the NBA in three-point field goals attempted. Uh, you know, they're... they're they're 25th, tied for 25th, but they are near the top in three-point field goal percentage, which means they're seventh, which means what they take, they usually make. They don't overdo it. And then all the other things that go along with, you know, what people will call traditional or old-school basketball that drive, I'm sure, the analytics people crazy, the Phoenix Suns are, all right, you guys don't want that? We'll take it, and I look at some of their numbers. Third in mid-range field goals made per game. Second in mid-range field goal attempts. Second in mid-range field goal percentage. Top 10 points in the paint. They're near the bottom in fast break points. They don't necessarily charge it up the floor, hustle it up the floor, and jack up the first thing. This is not seven seconds or less. So in the fourth quarter... They go seven of ten from the mid range. They're two of nine from three. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the Raptors from three are two of thirteen. So that's a wash. And 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 Phoenix, Phoenix is seven of ten. And I look at the shot chart. Four of those, right in the paint, and that's DeAndre Ayton moving the ball, going high low. You know the the Raptors were 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 five of twelve from from mid range, but. Some of theirs were a little more difficult looks and good looks, but a little more difficult. 
Like that game is a play away from changing it. It's interesting. Somebody said this to me. I thought this is a good point, Eric. Put it put it on the list of Jonesy's memo to the uh, competition committee. How good was Monty Williams' team, and how well were they schooled on how and when to foul a guy so there's no chance of a three-pointer getting off? Like, guy catch the ball in the backcourt, boom, foul. Like, just like Fred would catch it before he could even get a dribble down, foul. And there's no way you can claim shooting, right? Ken Birch gets it, facing the sideline, boom, foul. Like, Okay. Well, no, I was shooting. No, you weren't. You were facing the sideline. No, you weren't. You were in the backcourt. You didn't even take a dribble. And and this person's idea was, in the college game, when you get to seven fouls, it's one and a bonus. When you get to ten fouls, which I think is a little quick, because the one and the bonus is the best rule in sports to me. When you get to ten fouls, it's two shots. So what if the NBA said in the last two minutes, you know, you get two fouls, right? And then the team goes to the line. Well, what if in the fifth foul in the last two minutes, it's three shots? Hmm. Not you know? sure if I love that, but I'm, I'm, I'm listening. It, it would mm-hmm. prevent. It's not like Toronto was down and they were looking for, like, they needed to make six threes to win the game or four threes to, they were down 12 with two minutes to go. It was a one-point game for the last, what, 30 seconds? And, and Phoenix just kept making mm-hmm. free throws and fouling. And the Raptors would they, their take, take their two, and you're down one, and they would foul. And, and it, it would just mean that, yeah, you could foul in the last two minutes, but there, there was some, some punishment to the aggregation of fouls in the last two minutes. I, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. See, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised you like it, Jones, only in the sense that, like, I understand, I understand the, the, the thought process, the mentality behind it. I just think that to alter the rules where there's one set of rules for 46 minutes, but then there's a different set of rules for the final two, I don't love it. I don't love it. But, I, I, I mean, it would, certainly, it would certainly change the complexion of how you coach, guard, play, the final two minutes, no doubt about it. I just okay. I don't love having two sets of rules within the same game. I, I hear you. I hear you. How about adopting this then? In the last two minutes, anytime you get to five fouls in under the last two minutes, and it's rare that it's going to happen in the first, second, or third quarter, but anytime, mm-hmm. and you just modify it for the game. From now on, in the last two minutes, two fouls, team shoots, and and and, and the ball. No, no, two, two fouls, and the team shoots, as usual. But when you get to five fouls, it's three shots. And, and maybe change the rule before okay. that. Maybe change the rule before that. So if you have two team fouls and you get to the last two minutes, sorry, those other two extra fouls disappear, right? It's first foul in the last two minutes, second foul in the last two minutes. Right. So you can have right. no fouls before the two-minute mark. So why don't you give them those fouls? See, I need to get I need to get in front of the competition committee. Okay. I need to just just like I'm, I'm when little, we see a I'm travel. I'm a little more willing to listen to that one, yeah. Just like when we see a travel, Eric, in the middle of in the middle of the second quarter, and you know the guy walks, and the coach and the bench yells up, "Go travel!" They get up, walk, and the referee shakes his head, and they they give the guy the two. Well, the same way you can go back and change a two to a three, or review a three to a two, or or um, uh, 
you know, look at look at plays at, at, at the end of the quarter. Oh, no, the shot clock expired there. That, too, comes off the board. Uh, the same way you can do that, you should be able to look at a travel or a goaltend that was questionable. Review that without a challenge after the play at the end of a quarter or something like that or at the next time out and, you know, appropriately deal with, yes, that is a basket or no, that basket comes off the board. And that is a slippery slope. I, I agree. I'll, I'll listen to the arguments on that one. But a coach can't challenge if there's no, if there's no uh, whistle. So when a guy walks in the lane and he scores and everybody in the building goes travel. And look, the referees have a tough job. Maybe they didn't see it. Maybe they didn't think at that second. And they can't blow it retrospectively. And they say, let's look at that. And they look with the replay center during a break it's like you know what we're taking those two off the board you know so all right this is kind of on the same topic but maybe not really because because i'm i'm talking about actual calls not uh theories about potential calls or potential rules i'm I'm switching the topic slightly jonesy but this still plays into what you're discussing right now of plays or situations that impact the game and if there's a Phoenix Suns fan listening right now, he might say, oh, what a, what a homerish type question or comment. But I think it absolutely legit plays into what unfolded last night. I'm going to give you two different ones that I think had a major impact, major impact on the game, Jonesy. Fourth quarter, Raptors up six, 8.45 to go. Pascal Siakam with a very... Very questionable oh. foul oh. called against him on a three-point shot, three-point attempt from Landry Shamit, and Siakam sits down at the 8:45 mark with his fifth foul, and the Raptors leading by six. Fluke or otherwise, Phoenix goes on a 6-0 run and ties the game, and Siakam doesn't check back into the game until I believe I'm double-checking this right now. I'm scrolling quick. Yeah, about the four-minute mark, four or five-minute mark, he comes back into the ballgame. Now, that's one, and I'll throw it over to you in a second. That's one. Two, late in the ballgame, OG Ananobi on the near side in front of his own bench, drives to the tin. I believe it was 14 seconds left. Looks like he gets crunched, falls to the floor. He's on his wallet right in front of his own bench. The entire bench, rightfully so, jumps up. Incredible, strong take by OG. Hammered and falls to the floor. No call. Raptors still trail by one. So take me back to 845 when Pascal is given his fifth foul and sits down with Toronto up six and maybe rolling and looking to go up more, let alone take me to 14 seconds when OG doesn't get the call, woulda, coulda, shoulda been at the line with a chance to tie it at 93. Yeah. Um, the OG call was a tough one. And I, I, I know for me, the, the, the solution to that is the one that I've been championing for years. They got to go to the summer league rule where a guy, a, a guy doesn't foul out. Like Nick Nurse, you can live, leave Pascal Siakam in there uh, with five. But when he hits his sixth foul, if you want to keep him in the game, every foul after that is one shot in the ball for the other team. Or you can even go straight to two shots in the ball for the other team. 
And if the guy gets to his ninth or tenth foul in a close game, it's three shots in the ball. Like you can, you and, and I'm, I'm telling you, that takes the pressure off the referees. It does. It does. It's on the coach. Sorry, I called a foul. You can challenge it, whatever, but... Uh, yeah, you can leave the guy in the game, but if he keeps fouling, you're just going to give up free throws in the ball. And you know what? Maybe it's worth it. Like if Nick knew that uh, Pascal, uh, who eventually fouled out, I think grabbing somebody at the end of the game, if Nick knew that, okay, well, I'm up six and my best guy's got five, I don't have to take him out, but it might cost me a couple free throws and, the, and a possession of the ball, well, I'm sure he'd be willing to roll with that. Why? Because you keep that guy on the floor and maybe you keep your six-point lead. You keep your momentum going. You can still give the guy the ball. Like basketball is the only game where that happens. The only game. In the NFL, an offensive tackle can hold on every single play. They throw the flag, back him up 10 yards, and the guy keeps playing. In hockey, you can go and pummel a guy and go sit down for five minutes and come back in the game. Basketball is the only game where where after there are a certain number of infractions, you can't play anymore. And I'm not talking about egregious infractions. Six common fouls and you're, you're out of the game. So um, that, that, would, that, would, that would change things for me. But to the Suns' credit, when Pascal sat down, they took advantage of it. He, they, they made their run. And, and uh, you know, the OG thing, I, I think I kind of covered with, well, look at, look at the team fouls that happened after that look at uh, you know I'll, I'll go through the play-by-play and throw it to you but go through the play-by-play and look at how many team fouls <laughs> happened in the last two minutes for the phoenix mm-hmm. suns maybe yeah. in the last 30 seconds with all the fouling speaking of fouling and you were earlier discussing foul shooting free throw shooting oh gosh there's quite the controversy in the building last night with our guy well, actually, do we even know if it's a guy? Is it a guy? Is it a girl? Our favorite hmm. mascot. The world's greatest mascot. The Raptor. Mascot. The world's greatest mascot. Yes, indeed, Jonesy. The Raptor causing controversy in the game last night as Devin Booker goes to the free throw line, and the Raptor starts jumping up and down, obviously trying to distract Booker. And Booker, even though he hit the first shot, complains, hey, what's going on? Let's get this guy out of here. And the Raptor is, like, sent to the corner. Didn't wear the dunce cap, didn't have to turn around, but there he is taking a knee and shunned over into the corner, into the, into the vom opposite the, uh, the opposing team bench. Now, we'll get to a clip in a second, but let me just say, and I, I think I speak on your behalf and everybody's behalf or any sane person's behalf, like I have all the time in the world for Devin Booker, who I've only met once, like, when I say met, like introduced, that's it. Never done an interview with him. Don't begin to, to have any kind of personal relationship or knowledge of him outside of like 99.9% player, broadcaster, that's it. But I think he's a good dude. I think he's a kind man. I think he's charitable. I think he's one of the stars in the game. I think he's one of the superstars in the game. I love watching him as a player. I think he's incredible. Would I take him on my team? Yes, 10 days out of 10. I have nothing but great things to say about him. But give me a bloody break. You're telling me that you can go into an arena – with 20,000 people or 10,000 people or however many thousand people screaming and yelling with thunder sticks and streamers, and I'm thinking Benny the Bull throwing popcorn in the air in Chicago with noise blasting, with 
towels from fans sitting courtside being tossed up in the air, with the distraction cards that they hand out, with anything and everything in between, and you can't handle an empty arena with one dude or dudette in a fuzzy red costume jumping up and down? Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're going to complain about one person, quote-unquote, one animal jumping up and distracting you when you have been shooting in front of thousands of people going back to your collegiate and professional days for years, and you're complaining about one individual. That was such a bad look from (laughs) Devin Booker. Uh, Yeah, it just... You know what? It happens. And we always say this in basketball, like, you know, uh, the NCAA tournament, an 18-year-old goes to the free throw line to shoot one and a bonus down one with 10 seconds to go. And there's people losing their minds, screaming, yelling for him to miss or her to miss in, 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 in the case of the women's tournament. And a kid misses and we say they choke. And I'm a golfer. And here you have a, you know, a 30-year-old golfer that's been playing, you know, golfer. 18 years, and if somebody coughs too loudly around the green, it's look. Be quiet! Be quiet! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! I mean, it's it's the paradox that is, you know, professional sports. But uh, Devin Booker just needs to concentrate and 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 make the free throws. It might have been even more distracting because you've been shooting them all night with nobody in the stands, and that happens. But that's part of it. Like it 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 really is. I I I don't I don't think it was a good look for him to be. Um, you know, for him to be all upset about it. Although we hear in the in the post game news conference that things got worked out, right? Well, yes. Let's 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 bring that to you now because anytime there's controversy in the world, sports or politics, they just throw gate at the end of it, and that turns it into something. So let's discuss mascot gate. And here are some some of the post game comments. Do we have Booker and Paul, or just Booker? I don't even know. But we'll 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 hear from. The Phoenix Suns right now on on mascot gate. Devin Booker and Chris Paul with the blow up blow up doll. Uh, no, I wouldn't have blow up when it was the other one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we have shit out. We we on. Uh, <laughs> also, when the blow up thing was up, man. No, it was, he was alive. <laughs> the real <laughs> mascot. Yeah. Uh, we cool now though. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to get him out the way. <laughs> Yeah, it worked. I'd rather be shooting with him out without him down there. We play a shooting game all the time, every day. These two do the same thing, and, and I complain then. So that's just me. All right. I'm glad. I'm glad they worked. And I love the fact that there was there was question or controversy as to whether it was the inflatable or the real one. Because if there there was there was a clip, and I don't even think I I noticed it during the game. Like I honestly don't remember seeing it where the raptor did come out in his giant. Like I mean the one that's like 30 feet high, the giant inflatable, and he kind of and he came you know like just strolling along the 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 sideline. But this was the actual real live raptor in his fuzzy outfit. <laughs> Uh, on the baseline, jumping up and down. I, I, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give credit to Boffo, our producer, who just wrote it in the group chat. I'll read it word for word because he's bang on. Devin Booker dates a Jenner and then gets rattled by a little attention at the free throw line. <laughs> like that's good call from Boffo. Um, well, look, I, he, uh, it's funny because I, I was watching, 
the U.S. networks last night. And it was it was a big part of the highlight pack. The fact that they showed the inflatable Raptor and the whole thing at the end and and those clips that we just heard. And I love I love Devin Booker say, oh, yeah, we're good. We worked it out. Well, we didn't hear anything from the Raptor like there was no clip or no quote from a pool reporter, uh, you know. Chris Paul, they were all sitting there, right? There were three of them sitting at the podium when that, uh, when that, when that clip, it was Jay Crowder, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker. And I, he says, you know, we play shooting games every day, and those guys do the same thing. So what's the problem, man? You should be used to it. You should be conditioned to it. So, uh, you know, just trying to be part of the Raptor, just trying to be part of the 19,800 that would help the Raptors through, give them some energy. So maybe instead of Masai Ujiri sitting like behind us up 20 rows, they should have him sit like 20 rows up on the baseline wherever the opposing team is shooting in the second half. Or, or anybody that's in the building, have them sit there and make some noise. Here's the other thing, too, and, and, and then we'll stop talking because like, we, we, we're, we're, we're now adding fuel to the fire of mascot gate. <laughs> but before the game... Or as the, not even before the game. Well, technically, it was before the game because it was before tip-off. When the Phoenix Suns were being introduced, a few of the Suns staffers, I don't know if they were the web folks, if they were trainers or, or you know, massage, whoever, there were a couple of Suns staffers in the stands across from the bench, like, like closer to Gucci Row on the other side of the court. I don't know if you remember this, Jonesy. And when the Suns were being introduced in the starting five, after each name, you know, like Herbie's doing the intro, blah, 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 Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden. After each name, there's like two or three of them. That, like they're cheering and clapping on their team. And then the players, if you remember, we addressed it even on the air. They're all standing, like pumping their arms in the air, like, ah, playing it up to the crowd that isn't there. So if it's okay for your folks to be in the stands cheering on your team, it's not okay for the opposing team or the opposing team's mascot to be in the same stands booing your team like you would have in any other arena in the freaking league like it's a bad look yeah a bad look period entertaining anyway. game entertaining game and and we will highly entertaining game outstanding and now all right put it aside you lost time to get back on track and you got to do so against the pistons on friday night you owe them one after they took one to you earlier and you know you know you're going to be getting um a real hard look from the Bucks on Saturday night because they do not want to lose two to you on their home floor. You already got them a week and a half ago in Milwaukee. Saturday night on the second night of a back-to-back, again going to Milwaukee on the second night of a back-to-back, you got to take care against the Pistons because that's going to be a real tough one, I think, on Saturday night in Milwaukee. Well, considering Milwaukee uh, got beat by Charlotte yesterday too, uh, there's, they're just – Recently, the Bucks have been, eh, you know, they've been kind of up and down. Six and four in their last ten, and they've lost their last two games. So uh, they're, they're trying to right the ship, too. All right, folks, it's not only Alvin Williams Wednesdays. It's the midweek mailbag. If you have questions for us, we will answer them live on the air, give you a little shout-out as well. So get in your questions on midweek mailbag. As uh, you can hit us up on Twitter, Eric double underscore Smith, Paul double underscore Jones. You can send one or both of us a question. We will address it on our show today. And if you don't have Twitter or if you'd rather reach out through text, you can hit us up 
on the Fan 590 text line as well. Make sure you just make sure it goes to Smith & Jones. Text us at 590-590, and we will get your questions in, hopefully, and shout you out on the midweek mailbag. But when we continue, it is time for Alvin Williams Wednesdays on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. It's time now for our weekly segment. And I think we said one of these days we've got to do an entire hour. Maybe next week or something, but it's time for Alvin Williams Wednesdays with our man, Alvin Williams. Al, how are you doing today? What's going on, guys? How are you? All good, Al. Doing well, Al. Hey, I, I want to hit you with something. Totally out of left field here. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but but hopefully hopefully you can take the reins with this one. See, now I'll just quickly I'll say, and I, I think you might have heard me mention this before. My man Jones, we love Jonesy, but you know he references the same two or three movies and has for 20 years. I don't think he's seen more than five in his entire life, and none of them have been in the last 20 years. So he's not a big pop culture guy because he lives and breathes sports. To his credit, to his credit, lives and breathes sports. I'm watching last night. I get home from the Raptor game. I need to decompress a little bit. I'm flicking channels. I pour myself a nice stiff vodka. I'm watching TV. I'm flicking through the channels, and I happen to go by some of the talk shows, and I see um, Stephen Colbert. And who's his guest? Bradley Cooper. I'm trying to give you some street cred, Al, outside of the, outside of the basketball realm. Tell the audience your connection, or as minor as it might be, to Bradley Cooper. Wait, I mean, you got two wrong dudes when you're talking about street cred. Brad yeah. definitely don't have no street cred. And, and me talking to him would not give me street cred. But Brad is Brad is my man, man. Brad, Brad and I went to Germantown Academy together, middle school, from seventh grade all the way to, you know, actually Villanova. Brad went to Villanova as well and transferred his freshman year after his freshman year to Georgetown. So Brad and I... You know, we played middle school basketball together. Brad played tennis. I think he played soccer as well. Great dude, man. Everyone loved Brad. Nice. I can't. I can't say anything. I can't say more about the guy being a nice guy. Family was great. His father used to take us to the baseball games. Father took me pat stakes, um, hanging out like Brad. Very, very close friend of mine. You know, of course, we lost contact. You know, through over the years, but. We still keep in touch sometimes through text or email or whatever, but that's my main man. That, that's my main man. Real, real good dude. See, and, 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 and what I take away from this, Jones, is one of these days on Alvin Williams Wednesdays, I think he needs to bring Bradley Cooper onto the mix. You know, it's like it's like that old game that we've heard on other shows and broadcasters. Like, hey, who's the most famous person you've got in your phone? Can you get them on the air? You know, it'd be like if 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 we were on a show or we were on somebody's podcast. Like, hey, could you get somebody on? Like, yeah, hold on. You know, I'll call my man Alvin Williams. I'll get you a former Raptor. I'll get you one of the all-time favorite Raptors on the air. And Alvin Williams calls into this, you know, this show in a, a smaller station or some young dude that's starting up a podcast, and boom, we bring Alvin Williams in the mix. So we love Al. But now, if Al can bring us Bradley Cooper one day, man, oh, man, that's like we, we would go to another level, Al. Hey, man, I, I, I would love to try. I have no promises <laughs> at all. But, you know, he, he's still engaged with, with the area. He goes back to the high school, but he's, it's so quiet. Like, you would never know that he's there. He doesn't make a big deal out of it, whether he's doing charitable work or visiting friends. Or I missed, the, uh, I think it was the 25th reunion a high school reunion um, a few years back, and I missed it. And he and another guy, actually in the film world, Brian Klugman, out in California, 
sent me a screen, a, a photo, a screenshot of them hanging out. It's like, where are you? So I miss, I miss hanging out with them. So I mean, they're really good dudes. They're, they've always been very supportive. Brad, I, I remember one story where Brad and first getting to GA. You know, you go to a private school, you leave your bags on the hallway. Everything is all good. Like, no one's stealing anything or whatever. So I get caught up in the mix. Right? Let me leave my bag, even though I didn't come from that world. And my mom and dad would kill me if they knew I just left my bag around. But someone takes my bag. And it's probably about two weeks before the exam. And so I don't have any of my books, any notes, anything. But I'm so scared to tell my parents that I did it. I never told them, so I couldn't get my books. So I just had to go for, like, two weeks without notes or anything, going into my final exam. And Brad sat on the phone, and we were in English class together, and we had 100 words that we needed to know how to spell them in the definitions in seventh grade. And he sat on the phone and was about to give me every single word that was going to be on that exam. And it was only 20 that was going to be out of the 100. So that's the type of dude he was. Like, he was going to sit there, take away his studying time, to help me out. And we had just met pretty much. That was both seventh grade years. So that's the type of dude he is. Well, good to, good Jones, to hear. Jonesy, I, I, don't, I don't even know if I can find a segue for you because I know you want to no. talk hoops. <laughs> no, no. I, I was going to say, Al, I was, I was of the mindset, and Eric always, always busts my chops about this pop culture. I'm like, hey, you know, he brings up a, uh, an actor or, or a prominent actress. It's like uh, – can they can they tell me about uh, the 1985 Final Four where 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 Villanova beat Georgetown on April Fools? Like, because that's my world, right? Can can they t- can they tell me about that? <laughs> you know, like I'm like, can they dunk? Do, do they can they can they go between the legs and pull up from 17? You know? Yeah, and I, and I'll tell you this: Brad is the ultimate sports fan. And the funny, the ironic thing was. When we were in school together, I loved Georgetown. He loved Villanova. And I remember when I committed to Villanova my senior year, he's the first person I told at school and was like, hey, guess where I'm going? And he's like, where? I said, Villanova. And he was so excited. And then a few months later, he went to Villanova, you know, as a student, but he went to Villanova. So we went. To, we were trying to be roommates together, but the basketball coach wouldn't allow us to be roommates without anyone that wasn't on the team. But he's a big-time Villanova loved Raleigh Massimino. I love John Thompson. I love that. We used to argue all the time. Big time Eagles fan, Phillies. He's a big time sports guy. So he can have any conversation with you on many levels, especially sports. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. And 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 Al, we, uh, Eric and I always talk about this. Entertainers want to be athletes, and <laughs> athletes want to be entertainers, right? And and like. Exactly. T- to me, I, I'll never forget the uh, former assistant coach Alex English of the Raptors, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh, we were on a flight to L.A. <clears throat> and I had my headphones on, and he was walking back to the you know the back of the plane to get something to eat or use the bathroom or whatever, and I had my head going. And Alex is Alex is you know a little bit ahead of my vintage, but we had a lot of the same music taste. And he said, "What do you listen to?" I said, "Oh man, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire." Like I was. Like as a kid, I knew every one of their songs. It was, yep. it was, they, they were everything when I was a kid. Like they, they, they drop an album, boom, down to the record store and, like you know, that's right. Get that. So we're we're in L.A. and we're warming up at Staples, and I'm at the other end and I'm kind of, you know, doing the media thing. I'm waiting to talk to guys and talking to coaches and getting little tidbits of information. 
and we make eye contact. He's at the free throw line at the other end. And he, you know, he puts his hand in the air and I look at him and then he, he waves like motions, like, come on down here, come on down here. And he's standing at the other end and he's talking to some guy on like just off the court, foul line extended across from the Lakers bench. So I walk around the court and I walk down there and he says, Paul, I want you to meet a friend of mine. And I'm looking at this dude like, I've seen this face my whole life. He goes, Paul, this is, he goes, Paul, this is, this is Philip. I'm like, yep. dang, I'm yep. like, Philip Bailey, earth, wind, and fire. Man, g- give me some high notes, brother. Give me some reasons. I, and, and I'm telling you, Al, for as much as we're around, you know, at that time we were around Kobe and LeBron and, and like all of those guys, I met Philip Bailey. Like to me, yep. that was that, you know, and, and I'm like you, I, I hear it. It's when, when you get the crossover and it's in your wheelhouse in the entertainment, uh, you know, I did a special a couple, uh, two summers ago for the Raptors that wasn't connected with the team with the 25th anniversary. And I had Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson on the line. And, and Magic says, hang on, I want you guys to talk to somebody else. Magic was at Samuel L. Jackson's place hanging out. I'm like, oh, no, come on, come on. So I, I, I hear where you're coming from, E, but my pop culture lane is very, very slim. <laughs> well, hey, hey, Al, let me let me ask you this then. I mean, we'll t- stay on this on this path, I guess, a little bit here. But you know, here we are talking about you know encounters and whatnot. Uh, obviously, LA jumps to mind. Certainly, MSG in, in New York as well. Did you ever have any of those moments? Like, like I mean, listen, you're laser focused. You're on the task at hand. But do you notice when you're playing? Like, there's Jack Nicholson, or there's I don't know whomever, Sam Jackson. There's Chris Rock. There's Leonardo DiCaprio, whatever. Like, do you care about that stuff? Do you get distracted? Or there's there's a you know a, a, you know especially when you were young and single, whatever. There's a beautiful actress or musician or somebody. Or is it like, man, you just got the blinders on and 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 you're 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 doing your job. Young sir. Single, old, married, whatever. Hell yeah! You see Halle Berry, whatever it is, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna look. And I remember seeing Halle Berry at an LA game. You know, at that time, they called them video vixens. So the video chicks that were like in certain rap videos and music videos, you, you always, you know, I mean, were looking for them. They were more, you know, I mean, they they were more accessible to to, to get to. But it was one of those things where. It's always it's always good because you see them in music, you see them in movies, and you know, like you said, we're fans of those people as well. Unfortunately, I never really saw many. You knew they were there, and it wouldn't be until you watch the game, and you know, they scan across and they show you know people in the thing. I remember playing against the Knicks in the playoffs, and years later watching the game, and you saw Ben Stiller was there, and Chris Rock was there. Of course, you saw uh, Spike Lee. But, yeah, I would see him, like, if you watch the video or, or the gameplay or whatever like that, but not much in a game unless I was on the bench and just watching in, watching in the crowd. Huh. Well, certainly makes it – it certainly gives, as Eric would say, st- certainly gives street cred to the event. I mean, for us, uh, for me, do, go, doing games in L.A. and knowing that Jack Nicholson was just sitting to our left and, you know, you were sitting – Eric and I were sitting three steps away from – 
their in arena PA voice, Lawrence Tanter, the Laker girls, you know, like that, 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 <laughs> that kind of gave you a little bit of, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rolling in the big time here. And, uh, and cause we're all fans too. We're all fans too. Yeah, and, Al, and I'm with Jones- you. I'm with you because I, I used to watch, you know, watching the games and you, Tommy Heinsohn and you hear the names and you, and then when you finally play and you see them courtside or you see them about to do their job calling the games, that was more intriguing and more interesting to me because those are people I've heard for so many years and, and watched for so many years and getting a chance they're actually doing your game and calling your name out. That was always cool for me. Hey Al, uh, let's let's transition here to to you know a little bit more on the court. The Raptors last night losing to the Suns. Jones and I were saying earlier, uh, extremely extremely entertaining, highly competitive game. Uh, one of the most you know fun games uh, again, competitive games we've seen from the Raptors all season. But again, unfortunately, it ends in a loss. Um, six game winning streak is over. Lots to like with this team of late, though the way they seem to be coming together. And even last night without Scotty Barnes uh, and Gary Trent Jr. The way Siakam is playing of late, the way Van Vliet is playing, OG uh, rounding back into form after coming back from, from injury and COVID and everything else as well. It looks like this team, Al, might not just have been on a bit of a streak. Like Maybe maybe they were t- being taken for granted around the rest of the league by some teams or underestimated is perhaps the better word. And maybe there's a legit chance for the Raptors to make a little bit of noise in the second half of the season. No, there's definitely a chance. If, if you watch how they're coming along and they're – best players are playing great basketball, OG, Fred, Pascal. And we talked about last week. I really – I think I might have mentioned last week, I think Pascal's game is going to another level. I think, you know, him being a guy that's not just a scorer or looking for his offense, he's being a playmaker. He's rebounding the basketball, playing that position closer to the basket. I don't even like saying the center position at times, but when they're in the smaller lineup, he's the guy. I'm watching him. Hawk down, trying to block shots, running the floor. So he's doing everything. He's really in a great rhythm. And we know Fred is in a great rhythm. And OG, those three guys, that's enough to make noise. And then if you put Scotty in there and then Gary Trent Jr., then you talk about the bench. I love what Chris Boucher is doing. 16 rebounds yesterday. Huge offensive rebound by Tim Burke, right? He, he's doing the things that's winning, making winning plays. And then, you know, you still have players coming off the bench as well. So I think the team is coming together at a nice time. And going into this all-star break, February, if they can string some of these games going going forward, the team would be very dangerous. They're playing basketball at the right time. All they have to do is now is stay healthy and make sure they don't hopefully get caught up in any of this COVID stuff. And, and you never know what could happen. But they're playing great basketball individually and collectively. Al, uh, you've been a player in a locker room after a game like that where you're playing the better team, and Phoenix just kind of walks out of here and says, well, yeah, another win. That's what we do, and away they go. But, you know, you've been on the other side where you're the underdog, uh, you know, the home underdog even, and you, you play it like you're right there, and you just get leaned out at the tape. What What are guys, what's the prevailing sentiment in the locker room? When you go, you 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 comb over the video and you and you you know look at things that could have been what like we always say there's no moral victories. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a stark bottom line business. Doesn't it's absolute. Doesn't matter if you win by one or a million. It's a win. It doesn't matter. What's the prevailing attitude in the locker room on a day like today? 
I think it's going to the next. Um, you know, there there aren't any moral victories, but it's an understanding that we played shucks, the best team record-wise in the NBA, you know, in the Phoenix Suns. You know, they're, they're right there, and they have great players. They were in the champions. They were in the finals last year, and they're trying to get there again. So you understand that, but then when you look at the tape, your role players, you look and see if you fulfilled your role to, your, to the best of the capabilities. And your stars, did you come up as stars? As you saw, you know, Chris Paul once again sealed the game. Once again, Devin Booker, you know, made big shots. So their players did what they had to do. The Raptors players did what they had to do. It's just the fact that they didn't win the game. And it wasn't a blowout. It wasn't anything like that. But it was a good game. And it's a winner, it's a lo- it's a winner and it's a loser. So it's now moving on to the next and getting and starting that another win streak. And they're more than capable of doing that. But I, I feel like, once again, there's no moral victories. But once again, you also know you played against a very good team. And, of course, the Raptors were undermanned, missing key pieces. And they were still right there, gave themselves a chance to win that basketball game. Raptors' next game comes up on Friday uh, when they face the Detroit Pistons. That's in Detroit and then on the back-to-back in Milwaukee. Five straight now on the road for the Raptors. Uh, we spent a lot of time off the top talking about Brad Cooper and, and, and other fun stories. Um, so we didn't get as much, you know, into the juices of the Raptors today, but we'll do that next week. But I want to end it with this. Well, the, the, the crew, Lance and, and Mark, uncovered this. So this is going back to, uh, I believe, what did you guys say? 2009. We're going to credit CBC for this one. But uh, 2009, here is Bradley Cooper talking about our guy, Alvin Williams. He and I were actually great friends. Oh, come on. Uh, yeah, we used to. Uh, <laughs> we used to. He used to come over to my house, and we would study for like midterms together. And like we were really close friends. We actually went. To, I went to Villanova my freshman year before I transferred to Georgetown, and we tried to be roommates. But there was a policy that only basketball players could be roommates. And and, uh, and I just yeah, I love him. Uh, and I just reconnected with him about three months ago because I hadn't talked to him for for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he moved back to Philly, and he's doing great. There you go. It's a similar, that's, similar that's story. So wait, not that we thought time. you were lying. We just wanted to we, uh, pretty much yeah, verbatim. I, <laughs> pretty much verbatim, yep. And we got some private stories as well. He started laughing. He knows, he knows some funny things about We got some funny stories as well. Maybe that's another, that's another topic. We get them online together. <laughs> well, that well, might listen, be something. I, all, all I'm thinking, man, is, is – Hey, we, we need the we need the Brad and Alvin reunion on Smith and Jones. Of course, I'm sure if somebody on the TV side's watching or listening right now, they're like, no, 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 no. This needs to happen on TV. This can't happen just on the radio. No, let's just stay in our lane. Let's do it on the show. We got it going here. Plus, I even I even looked it up quick. I don't even think the guy's on social media, which you must love. Like he's just doing his thing. He's acting. He's living his life, and he's not all over no. social media. Like. He's, that, that's, that's, a, that's, that, that's about as real as it gets in, in today's day and age, not putting your life all out there. I promise you, when I watch him act in movies, that's how I knew he was a great actor because that first Wedding Crashers, and he was being a jerk, and he's the total opposite of that person. I was like, this dude really can act. But he's a great dude, very low-key to himself. He's a great dude, man, great dude. I'm, I'm proud to say that, that we are friends and that I do know the guy. Al, we're uh, yeah. Well, this is gonna sound cheesy, but it's true, man. I'm proud that that we're friends as well, and you're a good dude. We oh, love having man, you on the show. We'll off. get you back. Cut it off. Uh, next next week. Next week.
right, brother. All it's right, all Al. Love, Al. It's all love. Have a good one, guys. Appreciate it. There is Alvin Williams. Uh, and truly, I do mean it. I know it sounded kind of corny and cheesy, but Al is one of the – Jonesy, I was doing a, a chat with a school yesterday. I've been doing a lot of these things lately. And somebody asked me about all-time favorite Raptor, and I said – and I've said it for years. You know I've said this. Yeah. It sounds like it might be cliche now because he's a colleague, but I have said for years Alvin Williams is my number one, like in terms of the way he played – what he stood for, the type of person he is, was, etc. Alvin Williams, that's my guy. I love Al. Loved him back then, still love him to this day. Yeah, terrific guy. Uh, glad glad he's a colleague now. Subscribe to Smith & Jones. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if you want to subscribe to Smith & Jones, please do so wherever you get your podcast. Download it, rate it, review it, and uh, keep us tuned in all the time. We will continue with more Smith & Jones in Mere Moments. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Toronto Raptors last night losing to the Phoenix Suns, as we've talked about a number of times on the show. A highly entertaining game, highly competitive game, but the Suns come away with the victory as they got it done in crunch time. And the Phoenix Suns now sitting atop the NBA with a 31-9 and record. They get set for their next game now, which comes tomorrow night as uh, Phoenix will be in Indiana to face the Pacers last night's game against the uh, Raptors starting a five-game road trip for the Suns. Always great when you start with a win and joining us on the line right now from the Phoenix Suns, former Toronto Raptors and one of the all-time fan favorites as well, one of the all-time great dudes in the locker room and for us as broadcasters as well, one of the all-time good people, period, Biz Mac Biombo. Biz, great to talk to you. Thanks for the time today. Man, thank you for having me. That's a lot of good comments you got right there. <laughs> good to have you, Biz. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean it, and I was I was hoping to grab you for a minute last night, even just to say hello. But you were be, too busy being grabbed by former teammates and coaches and trainers, and and it's like old home week coming back to Toronto. And unfortunately, not the fans though. I'm sure you would have loved to have seen the fans. How how strange was that for you walking into the empty building last night? Man, very strange, you know, kind of remind me of the 2020, the beginning of 2020 season. We just couldn't interact with fans or be around fans. But, again, I understand, like, the circumstances, you know, are different and we all got to adapt to this. But, uh, again, it's a strange environment. We are adapting to this. We we can't stop playing basketball, obviously. Uh, And I think we use sports to help some some of the people watch at home and get together and all that. So, again, I think we're all finding a way to maneuver around this. Biz, how difficult was it? Uh, I mean, the Raptors have been doing it for five, six games now, playing with uh, – they played one yeah. game with half half capacity against Golden State, and the last five have yeah. been uh, – like nobody, just what you saw last night. How difficult right. or how different was it for you guys last night playing with no fans? I think it's difficult from a player standpoint because you really have to, you know, sometimes you rely on the energy from the fans uh, as, as far as, you know, just being entertained and entertaining them. And uh, and unfortunately, you know, like during these circumstances, you got to adapt as a player. You know, I think for our team, we were kind of saying that before the game that without fans, you really got to be locked in and find ways to pull out this energy and, and you know, and try to, 
get it done and get uh, get it done. But you know, again, I think the circumstances require us to adapt, and you know, I'm glad they're just adapting to it. Speaking with Bismack Biombo, Biz, you know, you speak about how crazy this season has been. I mean, listen, the last couple of seasons, obviously, um, but in the face of all of the craziness and the adversity and whatever, it has opened up opportunities for uh, jobs for guys, including yourself. I mean, it's it's crazy to me. I'll just say as a quick editorial, it's crazy to me that you weren't already on a roster, but the fact that this opened up a chance for you to get back in and very quickly, boom, you signed the 10-day and now the rest of the season nah. and you're a part of this thing now. I mean, walk us but through to, how that all went down. To be honest, to be honest with you people, really, I mean, some people maybe know, some people don't know. I think once, you know, my, my dad passed away last August. Uh, so it was around the same time as free agency. And, uh, you know, my dad was everything. You know, he was my best friend, my mentor. He was my role model, you know. And uh, and I never thought I would lose a close one. Uh, so uh, I spent a lot of time taking care of my dad. And and I was, at uh, the time, I just was not ready to, you know, to play any basketball emotionally, uh and uh, and being able to take some times away, I knew I was going to play. This was not a matter of whether or not COVID was going to open up, you know, spots, whatnot. I knew I was going to play because my agent was still talking to teams and stuff, you know. So, um, they were, and, and then another thing, once my dad passed, it was just, you know, looking for the right situation that I fit in and that I could compete for something. And I think that that's kind of what we did along the way. But he he had nothing to do, you know, whether COVID was happening or not, uh, because I knew I was going to play. But it's just a matter of how much time I needed to heal personally. Because the truth to be told, the game has given so much to me. Uh, uh, my dad was my first believer uh, before the words could know who Bismack was. So for me... Uh, taking time to heal for myself, uh, spending time with my family. Uh, they needed me more than the game did. And uh, quite frankly, you know, the healing process has been great. My family is in a better place now. And, uh, you know, we support each other. And now I think, you know, I, emotionally, you know, spiritually, the mind, the body, the soul is in the right place uh, to actually get to enjoy the game. And, uh, and I mean, uh, Phoenix, we've been going back and forth since since free agency started, so it was just a matter of time. That's good to hear, Biz, because I I'm a, I'm a couple of years in front of you with that. Uh, you know, my my, my dad passed uh, ten days after the Raptors had their championship parade, and I know uh, I know what it is when you've got strong support from family. So I I I, I see you exactly. stepping away. You you talked about Phoenix and why it was the right situation. Um, t- tell us, even before you, you had your little hiatus and you stepped away, why you thought they were the right situation for you, especially with the way the league is going now with, you know, there's, uh, I, I mean, big men are, are having to, uh, to morph and evolve and play a little bit differently in today's NBA. Why was Phoenix the right situation for you? They stay consistent to exactly how the game going to be played in the playoff because rather the big men are required to do a lot, and now when you get to the playoff, the game do reverse back. To because uh, the game becomes slower, and then you have to get stop every position. You got to protect uh, your you know your guards, 
and which is exactly what big men does. So they they stick to that and they go by that to win games. That's what to me, I, I, you know, I think it was it was a perfect situation having you know all these guys on the team understanding their role, their jobs to be able to get it done. That's what to me it was a perfect fit. You know, uh, they're not trying to do what everybody else is doing in the league. Uh, we have to shoot more trees. Well, in, in, in the playoff, how many trees do you get to shoot? You know. How many trees does your big shoot? Maybe one a game? Okay, like, you know, <laughs> how 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 are you going to get it done? You know, it's everybody have tried to do this Golden State thing and nobody have succeeded at it. And they keep trying and trying and trying. Back then, you know, Houston was trying to do the same. And it still didn't work. So I think they, they have the right mindset of what they're trying to accomplish. And because when the game do get to the playoffs, that's exactly how you play the game, you know. So and, and then it becomes an inside-out game, and you have to have a, a presence in the pain. So I I, find, I think that was perfect for me. You know, the fans are great. You know, they have a great fire going on. And now we just gotta put some gasoline on the fire. Which you guys know exactly how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Biz, I know you've only got a couple of minutes left here. Um, speaking of, with Biz Mac Biombo of the Phoenix Suns, Biz, you, you're a guy to me, I think back to your days in Toronto and, and even just the way you're speaking to us right now, the leadership qualities that, that you exude as well. What is it like joining a team like the Suns with the type of coach they have and his leadership qualities in Monty Williams, but also clearly in one of the all-time greats when we talk about leaders and voices in Chris Paul. Uh, you know, like, I think I think Chris Paul, uh, I worked with him with the union a little bit uh, before, uh, before I joined the team. Uh, not a little bit, a lot, actually. Uh, for the past, uh, I think, three years as a vice president of the union, uh, Chris Paul has been great. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a leader, not just in the locker room. I think for our league, he has done a lot um, just to help our league move in the right direction. But as of course, money, you know, I, 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 I know him uh, a little while ago and then been watching him just from far away, leadership, quality, everywhere he has been, how he has excelled, helping guys, uh, you know, being in the right situation mentally and being able to just play their games and being really good at it. I think that that was also one of the kind of the motivation to just wait, like, no, I'll just pass on, on, on these teams and just wait for, you know, for the right time. And, and obviously, money was kind of money, Chris Paul, just the organization in general. They have, you know, other guys that are leaders as well on the team, but it's, it's good when, you know, when you're around guys that understand uh, what needs to be done and get out there and do it, you know, rather it's from a coaching standpoint or from a player standpoint and, and everybody being able to read the game and communicate with one another. So it's just great to be in that environment. Hey, Biz, uh, I, I know uh, you've got to go. You're probably getting ready for a flight or a practice or something. We appreciate you carving out some time with us. Always oh, great man. to chat with you and uh, look forward to having you on again sometime, man. Thanks, Biz. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate you, guys. There is Bismack Biombo of the Phoenix Suns. Again, the Suns beating the Raptors last night at Scotiabank Arena. Next game for the Suns coming tomorrow as Phoenix sits at 31-9 and atop the entire NBA 
getting set for the Pacers, and, and I'm just going to echo the sentiment I, and, and the statement I made a few minutes back. Uh, one of the all-time greats. When I talked to Jonesy about all-time greats and I said Alvin Williams, I mean, listen, it, I'd be, de- be doing a disservice to some players as people if I started you know, throwing out a bunch of names because I'm sure I'd forget somebody. But right away, I think of Bismack Biombo and Alvin Williams and Fred Van Vliet and Jose Calderon and DeMar DeRozan. I mean, so many good guys have come through this organization, let alone good players over the years. And that's one of the things that I appreciate. And, and we're fortunate enough, um, uh, lucky enough to be able to get to know some of these uh, players as people away from just the game and the X's and O's. And, and as I say, good people. And I think, I think if folks didn't already know that about Biz, which I'm sure they did, you certainly got a sense of that just even in our 10-minute conversation with how honest and, and, and forthright he was with the answer. Yeah in regards to his father. I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I did not know that that's why he was out of the game. I thought it was just the numbers crunch. I didn't realize that he had truly stepped away from the game because of everything that he was going through in his personal life. I, I you know, shame on me maybe for not knowing that, and I appreciate that Biz kind of set the record straight and was so honest with, with what he spoke to us about. Well, I knew that, I, you know, in following him on, on social, um, I was aware of his dad. I guess I'm... <laughs> I'm kind of heightened and acutely aware of all of that stuff. Uh, but um, I didn't know that's what, what kept him out. I didn't know that that's why he was, you know, stepping away from the game. And uh, look, he, he gave the Sun some good minutes last night. Uh, he's a great uh, big man to have in your rotation. Uh, you know, like I said, the Suns beat the Raptors playing kind of conventionally yesterday, especially in the fourth quarter. And, and, you know, with, with Biz and JaVale McGee and DeAndre Ayton, they have a solid uh, big man rotation. They, they actually played two of them together for very short stints yesterday. And he's the perfect fit because he's also a great teammate. He's not going to complain or, uh, you know, uh, make noise about, about floor time and all of that stuff. So, uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give Phoenix credit because that's, that's a really, really solid pickup for them. Yeah, we appreciate again the time of Bismack Biombo joining us on the show today. So Wednesdays, every Wednesday, it's Alvin Williams Wednesdays, but we're, uh, we're, we're starting something else new this week, and uh, hopefully we can get it to catch on in, in future weeks as well. We're always interacting on social media as it, as it is, but uh, we wanted to set this up for folks that you know maybe wanted to contribute to the show and answer some of your questions here live on the show as well. You can always text us. Uh, on the Fan 590 text line. Hit us up at 590-590. Send us a text. But also uh, on Twitter, Paul, double underscore Jones, Eric, double underscore Smith. Uh, find us on social media for our midweek mailbag. So let's go to question number one as we pulled out some of the best here. Question number one from Gary, who hit us up on Twitter. Uh, Chris has been amazing on the board. Speaking of Chris Boucher, of course. On defense, in transition as well, do we really want him on the perimeter in the offensive zone? Wouldn't it be better to have him mid-range or near the rim for even more offensive rebounds or to thwart the transition game of the other team? That again, Jonesy from Gary on Twitter. What do you think? Um, Chris is a basketball player. Um, you know, he, 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 he plays it kind of uh, he, he plays every he does everything you need uh he sets screens uh he hustles he plays with energy you know the last little while i think he stripped his game right down and gone back to the basics played terrifically as as a 
as a big guy on the inside blocking shots. I mean, he blocked a three-pointer yesterday, Eric. Remember that one at the end of the game? Mm-hmm. Came flying mm-hmm. at somebody, and I always say, Chris Joe, Paul. He, he, he leads the league in that category where the guy thinks he's going to get the three-point shot off, and all of a sudden Chris Boucher closes out of nowhere and gets a piece of it. Um, so being out on the perimeter, this is the new NBA. And let's face it, Boucher made a lot of three-point shots, a lot of three-point shots uh, you know, last year. It just hasn't been falling this year, but I think of late he hasn't been um, just hanging out on the perimeter. You can see he's doing everything else. And you know what? He can play out there because he can guard that position out there. Uh, I don't disagree with you. I, I Listen, I, I I understand where Gary's going about keeping him a little bit closer to the rim, but at the same time, he's going to find the ball. To your point, Jones, he's a player. He's just gonna. He's he's one of those guys that he's got a nose for the ball on both ends of the floor, and whether he's pulling up in mid range or whether he's shooting from distance, I think he's gonna find his shot, and he's certainly gonna find that ball and find his man on the defensive end with that athleticism uh, that you just spoke of, uh, and his ability to to get up on a guy in the perimeter or to be a, a presence down low, even though he might be giving up a little bit of size, a little bit of weight to a lot of guys around the league. He's not backing down from a battle either way. Now I will say, and I don't know if this plays into Gary's point or more so our point about on the perimeter with Chris it would have been nice if he was able to drop down a three yesterday unfortunately for him for the Raptors in general they weren't good from distance last night Boucher 0 of 3 and the Raptors just 8 of 37 from long range and that was a major factor too I mean the Suns were only 11 of 32 so it's not like they shot that many more or made that many more but uh, certainly an off night from the perimeter when you combine Jonesy the fact that the Raptors shot only 40 percent overall from the game struggled from distance and struggled mightily at the free throw line, shooting only 15 of 25. It's surprising that they were even in that game, and it even was such a battle. And part of the reason was Boucher and his 16 rebounds and the offensive rebounds for the Raptors overall that they outscored the Suns 22 to 10 in terms of uh, second chance points. And a lot of that was Boucher doing the, a lot of that dirty work in the rebounding that we were just speaking about. I, I thought when I when I look at some of the numbers in this game, Eric, I thought uh, the teams really did play to their personalities. Uh, we talked about the Raptors number two in the NBA in in enforcing enforcing turnovers. Well, uh, you know they forced the Suns into twenty turnovers. Phoenix is a top ten; they're number six in forcing turnovers. The Raptors had sixteen turnovers. So you know we 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 talk about the way they played. Um, you know, conventionally on the inside. You, you, you know, you said, I think you said 11 of 32 for Phoenix in, mm-hmm. in, from, from, from distance. Well, they, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers here. Their average is 11.8 of 32 per game. So it's right on their personality. And I think that's what made the game so competitive. Normally a team loses when they lose their personality. The first team generally to lose their personality in a game and try to do things that are outside of what they normally do uh, or try to play the other guy's game, uh, that's when you're you're in trouble. Both teams stuck to their personalities last night. Uh, You know, the Raptors had 89 shots. Phoenix had 74. The Raptors are always turning people over and getting more shots. And even though they shoot a lower percentage, they win games. You know, Phoenix stuck to the mid-range. They went inside, like all of those things. And it comes down to, as you said, uh, you know, a, a possession here or there, a make, a miss, a stop. And then yep. if you're the Raptors, you would like to have eh, four or five of those 10 free throws back and, and things might be different. 
All right, let's go back into the uh, midweek mailbag. Another question from Twitter. Peter asking, would you guys prefer the NBA moving the trade deadline to later than the second week of February? And if so, when? I feel like an earlier deadline makes tanking much easier for teams, for example, like Orlando did last season. I'll just quickly say, I don't mind that. I don't mind that if, if you moved it a little bit later. I don't want to make it too late, though, because I think that you still need to allow a new player time to acclimate himself and learn the new system and the new teammates in which he's going to and, and, and joining. Um, but at the same time, I understand that if you were to make it a little bit later to the point that Peter made, uh, it does maybe cut down on the, the, the idea of quote-unquote tanking or at least just so, sort of throwing in the towel, going with the young guys and um, you know maybe impacting the competitive balance a little bit more. Uh, didn't the NHL move it a little bit later most recently in the last few years? And, and now it's like in, in, in March now as opposed to where it used to be kind of right around the same time as, uh, as the NBA? Yeah. Uh, you know, here's the other thing I think with that, Eric. Uh, I think the, the idea of uh, tanking now in the NBA – uh, kind of, it, it's it's been reduced because of the play-in tournament, and basically two thirds of the conference makes the playoffs, so ten out of fifteen teams. But if you're an eleven or twelve, and you're you're close to the line, you're trying to get there, and you may make a trade to try and help improve your chances and then improve you for the future. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying it's not done and and teams don't lose purposely, but the the incentive may not be may not be there uh, with the guys that are actually on the team. Front offices tank, guys on the court and coaches don't, and they're trying to win. And if you're 11th or 12th and you're only a game or two out of, you know, out of that 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 last spot, that playing spot, you want to get in because again, I always say this: winning is never bad. It makes your players look better, makes your organization look better. Uh, the assets look better for moving or trading you know, later in the season or in the summer or whatever. And if you have a young team, it gives them experience in pressure situations. So I- I'm okay where it is. I could see if they moved it and if they moved it up or they moved it back. But to your point, it would make it tougher for a guy coming in to acclimate to his new team, especially if you're one of the teams up near the top. If you're two or three and you make a deal to bring a guy in, uh, you know, that guy needs time to acclimate before the playoffs. All right, one more here. And this is, this is more of a statement, but I think it plays well into the show and, and a lot of the things we've been discussing, especially in regards to last night's game specifically. And it's coming from our man George, uh, who, who listens regularly. He hits us up. On, on Twitter all the time. He's a fan of the show. I know he is. George, the handle is Big G. We're going to talk to Dr. G, actually, in a few minutes' time. Gord Stella going to be joining us. But right now, it's Big G on Twitter. Uh, good take from Paul, i.e. Paul Jones, on fouling by Phoenix. But how often do we see teams do what Phoenix did in those 30 seconds? Good strategy, though, if your team can hit free throws at a high percentage. Worked in Phoenix's favor last night, but next time, might it burn them? And I think that's a good point that Big G brings up, Jonesy, because at least in last night's game, was part of the strategy from Phoenix that not only was it, okay, we're up three, don't let them shoot a three, but also the Raptors are brutal at the line tonight. Toronto shot only 60% at the line last night, missed 10 free throws, and even using Phoenix as the example in both the pro and con way, if I can sort of flip the script a little bit, 
if you're ordinarily looking at the Suns, let's just play let's play role reversal for a second, Jonesy. Let's put Toronto in Phoenix's shoes last night and Phoenix in Toronto's shoes. Toronto might be looking at DeAndre Ayton going, dude shoots only 68% at the line. Foul the big man. Put him to the stripe. Don't let Phoenix get off the three. Let's play this out at the line. And what does Ayton do last night? Shooting 68% on the season. Goes 6 of 6 at the free throw line. And he's the one that basically iced the game by putting Phoenix up 4 with like 4, 5, 6 seconds left in the ball game. Had he missed one, had he missed both, Raptors have a chance to at least tie if not win the game. But a dude shooting 68% took care of business and a team that's normally pretty good at the line individual players that are normally pretty good at the line the Raptors last night were brutal and that turned out to be a major factor in the game to George's point yeah I I think I think Monty Williams uh, played the percentages like we have the lead we're just not going to give them a chance to make threes and we know we're going to get fouled so we're going to have to do this what what impressed me about Phoenix's fouling was there was never a question Never a question to any of those fouls. They fouled three times, and I went back and looked at the box score. They fouled three times in the last two minutes. So my uh, five fouls in the last two minutes, the Raptors would have never got that extra shot anyway. But uh, it's always a quandary of when to foul. Okay, we're going to take the foul so they don't get a three off. Well, if you take it at the wrong time, you may make it easier and give them three free throws. And I think Monty Williams had his team well-schooled and well-versed in when to foul. Ken Birch was fouled. There was no, no question that it was going to the line. There wasn't a chance of him getting a three off or it being misconstrued as, well, maybe he should get three free throws. Same with Fred, fouled in the backcourt. Like they just, as soon as you get the ball, you know, you, you foul when a guy's caught the ball and, and he's not in a catch-and-shoot situation or when he's facing away from the basket or a sideline so there's no interpretation around shooting and I thought Monty's t- Monty Williams and the Suns did they they obviously have worked on it and they did a really good job of 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 doing that and to the Raptors credit at that time in the game Eric they made free throws it's the, it was earlier in the game that the free throw shooting hurt them Okay, I'm going to throw one more out here. It came, in, it came in late, but it's our guy James who listens regularly as well on Twitter. Um, and somebody asked me about this yesterday or the day before as well. Um, and so it's, it's a recent question that's been asked now a couple of times, so I'm, I'm going to throw it right back uh, to you, Jonesy. Again, coming from James, um, why do you guys think that the Raptors continue to punt on having a traditional big. This maybe plays into the conversation we just had with Biz Biombo, where Biz is saying, hey, we have traditional bigs. We play more of a traditional way. How many times do you actually see big shooting threes in the postseason? That's what Biombo just said to us 10, 20 minutes ago uh, in our interview. And the Raptors, like so many other teams, um, don't necessarily have the traditional. I would say this just quickly before I throw it to you. I think Kem Birch is close to that. I know he does venture out to the perimeter sometimes, but I think he can be more of that traditional guy, even though you might not be getting that with pretty much everybody else that you would put at the center spot on the roster, whether it be Siakam, whether it be Boucher, whether it be Achua. Uh, I think Birch could be that guy, so maybe that's the good thing, is that you have the ability to play both ways if need be. What do you think? Yeah, uh, look... I think Kem is, a, is more of a traditional big. He's mobile. He's a little bit maybe undersized, but he does kind of fit that role. And I, I think I think it's the versatility. I think I think Precious. I remember he's a young player. I think he could be that way too. 
But don't, don't forget the fact that, you know, don't, don't take it for granted, the fact that he's mobile and he can step out to the perimeter. Um, you know, I watched DeAndre Ayton working on his three balls before the game. I'm not saying he doesn't shoot it. Maybe the opportunity doesn't come up. But if he gets a chance, you know, he's putting that in his tool bag. And I, 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 I think the Raptors... Um, I think the Raptors are are a little bit more can be a little bit more traditional at times than people give them credit for, and and I, I think people get caught up in looking at the size and the switchability and hey a good big is always good to have if you got a guy who's six three and another guy who's six eight and they do the same thing well give me the guy who's six eight and I, and I think the way the NBA is going now you need that versatility. I wouldn't say the Raptors don't have a traditional big. I, I think it's Ken Birch. He might be a little bit undersized, but he fits that role really well. Uh, you know, screens well, rebounds well. Um, you know, just I think people are selling him short because he might be a little bit undersized. When we continue on Smith and Jones, we will shift our attention to the National Hockey League and much more when our friend Dr. G. Gord Stellick joins us. Thanks again to all of you for your questions in our midweek mailbag. Make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones on Spotify, on Apple, on Google, wherever you get your, your uh, podcast. Please rate and review as well.